you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everybody. It's Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, where we're not ready for silly seasons. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, joined by Michael F. Floyd. We got two specialists over on the side there. Shout out to uh, Randy and Albert for uh, showing up and helping us out today. Um, yeah, Florio, so the draft is in the rearview mirror. Uh, I guess the next big thing for us around here is schedule release. For yep. the, How do you feel about schedule release? Uh, look, if the bosses are listening, I love <laughs> schedule release. It is the greatest thing ever. We should have more events like this. If the bosses have tuned out by now. Uh, it is the most overhyped thing in sports <laughs> because we literally the moment play ends in week 18, we know every opponent that yeah. every team is going to face. We just don't know when on the calendar. It's basically just unveiling a calendar is what it is. I understand. Look, I get it. I know it, it drives viewership. I understand we do like a multi-hour show about it, um, but I'm with you. There is not. I can't get myself super excited about it. I don't know if you've ever been here like long enough so, like, where like I have been fortunate enough in the past. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but whatever. If they come for me, they come for me um, <laughs> where I've had to write about schedule release. And so I will get the schedule like a day or two in advance. Ooh, it is like top secret nuclear football level stuff. I mean, like it is handed to you or emailed to you with like bright red letters. Like do not release this under penalty of death and i'm like i'm not gonna say anything but i know that like literally every beat writer in existence is going to be leaking this stuff over the next 24 hours the leaks of the schedule annoy me more than the hype for the schedule <laughs> release because i'm like we know this just let people get excited <laughs> about it um but besides that the people who then have to write about it after and like break it down i'm mm. like you could have wrote this article three months ago and just have been sitting on it because again all we're finding out is when the games are being pretty played. much i mean i think the biggest thing i pull out of it is like winter bye weeks so you mm -hmm. can like maybe you can prep to uh, grab somebody off the waiver wire for bye week something like that and uh, you know i don't know i guess if you want when certain revenge matchups happened or something i so. do get excited to see who the international games are that's true that that to me is probably that i go like okay who's playing overseas yeah. like is that that's fun and then besides that i look at the bills which usually is like it. jaguars um <laughs> that's usually what you know there's one london game at least is always the jaguars and then the, the rest of them you kind of fill in the blanks there uh of course we mentioned the draft is over and uh, you know we we hitch back on Thursday night with our round one recap. I think we let it breathe for a couple of days uh, and get back to you with what happened days two and three. So let's just break it down. We're gonna go through a list of names uh, by position, sort of figure out what this means for them, what this means for the guys around them. I feel like maybe next week we can kind of dive further into the veteran winners and losers in this whole thing. But let's just talk about the guys themselves that were drafted. So let's start at quarterback. Where the day began, pretty much, with Will Levis getting drafted by the Tennessee Titans. One of the big stories of night one, that poor Will Levis had to sit in the green room all by his lonesome and wonder if his girlfriend was going to break up with him because he was not around one pick. Hopefully, 
Pick number 33 was good enough for her. So we go to the Titans in round two. There are big questions about what Levis's future could be. The range of outcomes based on what the scouts say is very wide. But my question is, I mean, we know that Ryan Tannehill is still there. And you know, unless something catastrophic happens, he's going to be the starter in week one. But Will Levis getting drafted by Tennessee, does this mean the Malik Willis experiment is over? Sadly, yes. Mm. Um, Malik Willis, like... Last year, we were all excited for him around this time, and, and it was because of his rushing ability and the fact that how far he could throw. We all said he's very raw, and, and he needs to a, a lot of game time experience to kind of mature. And when he got out there, it was rough. Like, it was so rough that the Titans opted in their biggest game of the season to give Josh Dobbs his first career start, uh, which tells you all you need to know about Malik Willis. And they used the second round pick my thinking, my hope with Malik Willis, because I know Tannehill's going to start the season, but I think the Titans are looking ahead to next season. Um, so my thinking was like, Hey, if they struggle initially the first like six weeks or something like that, could we see a move to Malik Willis? Because one, it gets some experience Two, It also helps their chances of increasing their draft pick. But if they move on from Ryan Tanhill in season, which I still expect them to do, Will Levis is going to get every opportunity. He's, he's now the future, uh, for this team. So yeah, if you're holding Malik Willis in dynasty or anything like that, I, I think you got to kind of let this one go. This one. Yeah. It, it seems like they are ready to move on now as of this moment and take that for whatever it's worth. Malik Willis is still the QB two in Tennessee, but you know, we haven't really gone through rookie mini camps yet. We haven't gone through OTAs and all the other things yet. So there will be a competition brewing for that second spot. And it does seem like based on what we saw last year from Willis and the expectations for Levis that Will Levis is probably going to be the number two quarterback in Tennessee when it's all said and done. And that is the person who will be the heir apparent for Ryan Tannehill. The rest of this offense, I mean, look, they went out and they, they drafted, uh, you know, they didn't draft any wide receivers, or at least no, none with any real high draft capital. This offense just looks like it's still going to be kind of bad. I mean, they did spend some mid-round picks. We'll talk about Ty J Spears in a little bit. They, they spent a, a mid-round pick on Ty J Spears. They didn't really add any significant wide receiver help. There's just nothing about this offense beyond Derrick Henry to get excited about right now. And there's rumors that like, hey, could they still potentially move on from Derrick Henry? And look, as much as like everything about the Titans, I still think they're one of the worst teams in football, at least on paper. So Will Levis right now, we could say we feel good about him, but. If this team, if this season goes awry and they have a chance to get in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, throw all of this away because they'll easily dump Will Levis, Malik Willis, anyone if they have a shot at Caleb Williams. Yeah, I, I just, I don't think they're going to be, they're not going to be great. I don't think they're going to be bad enough, though, to get in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. I mean, credit Mike Vrabel for the job he does coaching this team. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, even last year, I know they were 7-10, and 10, didn't make the playoffs, but the fact is... He still coached this team up, and even if they are you know, bad, I think they're you know still six, seven wins bad, and so that's yeah, that's, that's not going to put you in range to get to get Caleb Williams, especially with the, the Cardinals right now seem like the heavy favorite they to get him. Look like the early, which is that's another interesting conversation, maybe for a later time. But you've got Caleb uh, Kyler Murray, you've signed him to an extension. If you are sitting in the one spot, 
You just try to load up on picks. You trade out and try to load up on picks. I would trade Kyler. I, I, as, oh. I, I know it sounds wrong to say, but you have a quarterback who's making a lot of money versus one that you can get draft capital back for to get Kyler and then use that pick on someone and reset the rookie clock. Because as much as I like Kyler Murray, and I'm a big Kyler Murray fan, this roster is not a couple years away, I don't think, from being a Super Bowl contender. So you kind of want that rookie contract, I think. But yeah, not only do they have their first round pick, they have the Texans. So they have the capital to go up and maybe make a move to one themselves and then replace that capital by trading Kyler. Interesting. Yeah, the the, the Cardinals seem ripe for a potential fire sale. They move DeAndre Hopkins. They move some other pieces uh, and see if they can get some draft capital that uh, in the near future. Um, Hinden Hooker ends up going to the Detroit Lions. This is another guy that we speculated could go in the first round just because teams might want that fifth year of control on him, uh, knowing that he's probably not going to play this year after having the knee injury. Uh, obviously, Jared Goff is the guy there for now, but Hooker looks like he's kind of the next in line for that job in Detroit. Understanding that in redrafts, you're not going to take a chance on him. But dynasty-wise, what do you feel about, about Hendon Hooker? Uh, I think he's the QB5 in rookie drafts behind, uh, obviously, the three that went in the top four picks and then Will Levis. Um, I don't know because I, I tweeted the other day that Hendon Hooker's closer to Jared Goff's age than he is the other rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> and some line fans were like, stop pointing out his age. It doesn't matter. I think it does. When your breakout comes at 25 years old in college, I, I think that matters a little bit. Um, the Lions have a lot of offensive talent. Uh, so I, I think if he does get to start, he can be a big value from where you're going to get him in rookie drafts right now. I'm just, I, I don't know, like, is he, I understand he's cheaper, but, like, if Jared Goff plays well this year, I know we're all kind of writing off Jared Goff's future with the Lions, but I think they might look at it and be like, the NFC is wide open. If Jared Goff has a good season and they make the playoffs and stuff, why would they want to restart? I mean, it's a good question. Now, in theory, they could get out from under Goff's contract after this season and take a little bit less of a cap hit. So, I mean, that's something to sort of keep in mind. But I do think that whoever it is, if it's Goff, even if it's Hooker, the Lions are sort of in this weird limbo state because here they were last year, 9-8. and eight. They just missed out on the playoffs. They missed it on the last day of the season. Even if they win the division, which is certainly possible, right? They could win the, the NFC North. This is, what, a 10-11 win team. Maybe they win a game. Maybe they win a game in the playoffs, which is something that hasn't happened in a while. I think it's been what, what are we? Decades, <laughs> centuries since they won a first round playoff game. Um, so then that sort of leaves them in this limbo, right? Where you are, you're not bad enough to get a high pick and put yourself in line potentially for one of these sort of franchise defining quarterbacks, but you're not good enough to make a real run at a championship. It's sort of what we talked about with the Giants, right? They, they go all in on Daniel Jones, and now you're potentially stuck kind of in quarterback and NFL purgatory where you can make the playoffs, but you can't really make a run, so you can't get enough high draft picks to really rebuild this whole thing. I mean, I think that's, that's sort of the story with Goff, and I don't know that Hooker is the guy to take them over the hump, partially because of age, partially because I think he's a good but not great quarterback. So I think, you know, Either way, they're sort of stuck in this 9, 10, 11 win window 
where they're not necessarily good enough to compete with the elites of the NFC. Uh, beyond that, I mean, as for fantasy, I know right now he's sort of being mocked as the RBQ, uh, QB5. RB, rookie QB5. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. The rookie QB5, which feels kind of about right. Um, I mean, he's a guy in rookie drafts you're probably taking, if you're taking it all in that last round, and just sort of waiting. Because you got to wait at least a year, maybe two, before he gets on the field at this point. Yeah, and... and- I agree with everything you said about the Lions and, and like their chance this year, but if they played in the AFC, I'd be like, yeah, you got to get rid of Goff. You, but in the <laughs> NFC, I'm like, yeah, they're not they're not Eagles level good, they're not Niners level good. But after that, with with any sort of confidence, I cannot tell you who the third best team is in the. Well, it, it might be the Cowboys. Yeah. It might be the Vikings. It maybe it's the Lions. Like there's <laughs> there's a big drop off after the top two teams in the NFC. <sighs> yeah. I, w- I would be willing to say the Cowboys, but it's probably, but been. you know what? I'm, I'm open to, to having my mind changed uh, at this point. Some of the other quarterbacks who went a little bit later, Stetson Bennett goes to the Rams, Jake Hayner to the Saints, Aiden O'Connell drafted by the Raiders. Dorian Thompson Robinson is a Brown. Sean Clifford is a Packer. Jaron Hall goes to the Vikings, Max Duggar to the Chargers. One thing I noticed. Uh, in here, it seems like some of these teams have a type. The Rams apparently love Georgia quarterbacks with Stetson <laughs> Bennett and Matthew Stafford. The Saints love Fresno State quarterbacks with Derek Carr and Jake Hayner. Uh, the Chargers seem to be loading up on TCU guys after getting Max Duggar. Uh, you know, guys, guys uh, have a type apparently. But anybody here that that jumps out you uh, for dynasty purposes, We're, we know redraft is not going to be a thing. But but dynasty wise, anybody here that that has any interest for you? Nah, maybe Stetson Bennett just because Matthew Stafford's health has been such a question mark. And if he gets to start with McVay's offense, it could be somewhat useful. I thought Dorian Thompson Robinson was a sleeper that I liked, uh, especially because he can run a bit. But now he's just behind Deshaun Watson. So he's only going to be like a backup. All of these quarterbacks to me, Jaron Hall, I thought was a sleeper until he and I think he fell to a good spot. Because the Vikings are not owed anything to Kirk Cousins beyond this year. But fifth round pick is very, very unlikely to do anything at the quarterback position. And I didn't even connect the dots that the Chargers took Duggar to pair with Quentin Johnson. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. I like when teams do stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it certainly works. It makes the, the receiver and the quarterback both more comfortable. You got a guy that you're used to working with. I think that, that definitely helps out a lot. Uh, side note, John Paulson, uh, who does great work at 444, pointed out that the uh, quarterbacks on the Rams roster, aside from Stetson Bennett. I mean, you got Matthew Stafford. Uh, they have Case Cookus and someone named Dresser Wynn, which I don't think is a real person. I feel like he's like a creative player. Um, <laughs> so those are, those are your L.A. Rams quarterbacks. Uh, over to running back, uh, Devon Achain, which is a name that I know fantasy folks are sort of tearing their hair out. We're trying to figure out how to pronounce it. I've seen people sort of, you know, I know I butchered it, I think, a couple of weeks ago. I think people are changing their pronunciations all the time. But as far as we know, it's Devon Achain uh, is how you pronounce it. But however you say it, he is a Miami Dolphin. So the Dolphins, they re-sign uh, Jeff Wilson. They re-sign Raheem Mostert. They re-sign Miles Gaskin. Now they draft Achain. Is there more or less clarity in the Dolphins' backfield now? I think there's more dressed in, like, the appearance that there's less. Because I think people look at it and they're like, now there's three running backs that Mike McDaniel can implore. And they were a committee last year. But my thinking is the Dolphins, 
already had so little draft capital because they had their first round pick taken away. Like they, they did not have a lot of draft picks in this draft. So to use their second over, I know it was a third round pick, but it was the Dolphins second pick of the draft on a small undersized running back. Uh, to me, tells me that they have big plans for him. And because of his size, I don't anticipate he's going to be a 15 to 20 type of carries per game kind of running back. But the Dolphins had so much success, and the Niners always did where Mike McDaniels comes from, on outside zone runs. So I think you give the fastest running back in this class, because that's what HN is. He, he ran a 4-3-2. You give him... Uh, you give Mike McDaniel that speedy running back who could be used uh, in, in the passing game as well. I keep saying it. I think he's a better for best ball kind of running back mm -hmm. because I think he's going to be a home run hitter. There's going to be weeks where he'll break out long touchdown runs, and then there'll be weeks where he doesn't have that long run, and he gives you like five fantasy points. But I think that ultimately he brings the most upside, and I think he'll, he'll get the most consistent work uh, in this backfield. And if there is a head coach in the league that I feel confident doesn't care about your size as long as you could contribute, it's Mike McDaniel. That's probably true. And I, I think the point you've made about the outside zone is the thing that I've seen the most when it comes to a chain, that, that his speed in that system is one that can be very successful. You know, we'll see. I think early on, I think he's going to be a guy that it's going to take him a few weeks to sort of get that opportunity because I would think early on you're going to see a lot of Mostert, a lot of Wilson. Uh, those guys are going to get some of those chances, and I think it may take a while for the rookie to kind of get up to speed and get those those touches there. When he does, you're right. He's a best ball candidate sort of in the making. I mean, I do wonder if he has potentially Kenneth Walker-type opportunity, if he has that kind of potential again, some of it depends on the guys in front of them and whether or not they're able to, to to play, if they get hurt, if they get opportunity. But in terms of a guy who could kind of show up midway through the season and suddenly make a big fantasy impact, he does seem to have that sort of written all over him. I just, I saw that and I'm like, they're just, they're just stacking them like chips, man. Stacking running backs like chips in Miami. And it, it just makes my head hurt. A bit. <laughs> uh, speaking of stacking running backs, uh, Pete Carroll seems to be doing the same in Seattle. They they have Kenneth Walker, who, you know, they cleared the deck after Rashad Penny left. Seemed like, all right, well, this is the Kenneth Walker show. They drive Zach Charbonnet, who I loved as a back in this draft. Wanted to see him go to a spot where maybe he could get some opportunity. And maybe he will in Seattle, but we love Kenneth Walker. The Seahawks also drafted Kenny McIntosh in the seventh round. Pete Carroll, and now, mind you, you know, Pete will say things that don't always come <laughs> to fruition. But he says that Charbonnet and Walker will be battling for opportunity. That makes me sick to my stomach. I mean, how much does this impact Kenneth Walker having these other two guys, especially Charbonnet, show up in Seattle? Big time. Like, I thought Kenneth Walker was a top 10 running back with top five upside before this draft pick. And I know people, I've seen people try to make the case for him. Like, look how good Kenneth Walker was. Rookie of the year, runner-up. And I'm like, okay, despite all of that, they used a second-round pick on another running back. And a running back that has a different skill set. I, I think Charbonnet is the better between-the-tackles runner. He's the more physical runner. Kenneth Walker, as much of a home-run hitter as he is, he struggled at times last year between the tackles and, and gaining positive yards, getting stuffed, and... While we in fantasy love those big runs, 
NFL coaches, especially coaches like Pete Carroll, they don't like it when you lose yards or you don't gain yards. They'd rather it's why like Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson hung around as long as they did because they weren't losing yards. They were gaining three, four to clip. That might be all they could do. Charbonneau could do more than that. And then I, I've already in early drafts, I've seen Kenneth Walker fall to like a fourth round pick uh, after the top 15 running backs. And I, at the, even at that point, I'm a little hesitant because I could see it being a situation where week to week, the volume is kind of different depending on game script. And shout out to uh, Scott Engel. I, I host a show with him, Ultimate, huge Seahawks fan. He pointed out to me, he was like, the Seahawks have really been trying to have a two-man backfield since Marshawn Lynch. It just hasn't worked out. Like, first it was Carson and Penny. Neither one of them could stay healthy. Yeah. Then it was Penny and Walker. Penny couldn't stay healthy. So now I think Pete Carroll finally might get his wish and have two running backs, which sucks for fantasy. It does suck for fantasy. So you're going to have potentially two running backs back there. And this is without even taking into account that they also added Jackson Smith and Jigba. So now you've yeah. got three receivers uh, you got you know, JSN to go along with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. There are so many more places to go with the football now in this offense that, you know, having a two-man backfield, yeah, it, it just doesn't seem all that appealing. Granted, I will probably draft Charbonnet late in some drafts somewhere along the line. I will probably take my shots at Kenneth Walker, but I think the upside on each one of them has been capped, knowing that they are probably going to end up sharing opportunities from one another. Uh, the Saints take Kendra Miller from TCU in round three. So I I still don't know what to make of the New Orleans Saints. Um, they go and, you know, they, they add Derek Carr. Uh, we know how much we love Chris Olave. They bring back Michael Thomas. We're still waiting to see what happens with Alvin Kamara in terms of, you know, a suspension potentially. They go out and they get Jamal Williams. Now they draft Kendra Miller. A uh, guy who was drafted in the third round. So, you know, decent draft capital spent on him. How do you approach this guy in fantasy football? Poof, I have no idea right now. <laughs> I, th I think it all right? depends on, on Alvin Kamara. My takeaway from this was this is bad for Alvin Kamara because if the Saints – look, I know no one knows how long an NFL suspension might be, but I feel like the team has better insight than we do. And if they're using a, a pretty premium pick round three on a running back, to me that indicates like, hey, they're planning on having life without Alvin Kamara for at least a little bit. If Alvin Kamara is missing like two games or something like that, I'm like, okay, I expect Jamal Williams to lead the way and then obviously Alvin Kamara. But if he's out like half the season or something like that, then I think Ken J. Miller becomes much more appealing. I'll also say though, in early drafts, Alvin Kamara is really falling. Mm -hmm. Uh I kind of see it as a buying opportunity because I'm like, hey, if he, even if he misses half the season, if I could have Alvin Kamara at a huge discount, be Alvin Kamara the second half of the season, that's a player that could win me a fantasy championship. He could. Uh, and again, so much of it is us trying to speculate what the league is going to do. And that's what has to do with that, that ADP. I guess the, the flip side to that is, even at a depressed ADP, could you wait? Could you can you afford to wait, say, eight weeks potentially on Kamara coming back? And that's you know that's that's hard to say right now in early May. Uh, but I do take your point that if they are spending a third round pick on Miller, they are suspecting that they are going to be without Kamara for some time. They need to find somebody who can sort of fill in the gap a little bit. We know what Jamal Williams can do. He was excellent last year in Detroit. 
Um, he can be that hammer. He can be that goal line. I mean, I think ultimately they would love to sort of try and recreate some version of what they had with Kamara and Mark Ingram. Um, and maybe to a lesser extent, you can get that with Miller and Williams. Ideally, I think they'd love to have it with Kamara and Williams. But I, I'm just... I'm sort of confounded about what to do with Saints players right now. Aside from Chris Olave, um, I don't know. Oh, I guess we'll, we can talk, we'll talk about Jawan Johnson a little bit later, too. He's another one who maybe we have a little bit more clarity on. But uh, I, I just don't know what to do with, with Kendra Miller right now uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to fantasy drafts. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it really is a lot. Uh, we talked about the Titans, Ty J Spears. Gets drafted there. Um, I know we said the offense is not very good, that the Titans could be very bad, but there is very much talk that Derrick Henry might not finish this season in Tennessee. I don't know that they move him now because I don't know what they could really get for him, but you get into the season, a team realizes they need a running back or somebody gets hurt. Uh, if you're the Titans and you look around, you realize you're not going anywhere. Maybe this is when you move him is sometime midseason before the trade deadline. You can like rack up a few draft picks beyond that. I feel like Ty J Spears of all the day two running backs, maybe is in potentially the best spot because there seems to be fewer obstacles to him getting opportunities. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I, I don't think you're crazy. I think long term you can make the case that that it is the best landing spot. And, and I what I tweeted when he got drafted was like, for dynasty purposes, I like this a lot. For redraft, if Derrick Henry is still there, Derrick Henry backups don't tend to be all that fantasy relevant because he gets all the touches. And especially if Derrick Henry's on the last year of his contract, I would expect them to run him into the ground unless they end up trading him or something like that. But long term, I mean, we know even the, the Vikings... Look, we've never seen a Vikings team, uh, I'm sorry, Titans team, Mike Vabrell led without Derrick Henry, but in his tenure, he's always been a run the ball type of coach. So I, I could see Spears year two on being a running back that we are very, very excited about for fantasy. I do think there's a role for him as kind of a third down pass catching guy, even as a rookie. Now it, it was going to be limited, but they don't have a lot of great pass catchers, right? And I mean, you know, they got Traylon Burks. Beyond that, you're looking at, who, what, the Chiga Conquo that we kind of like? I mean, I don't know how you feel about Nick Westbrook Akine. Nope. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, Spears could have a nice role catching the ball out of the backfield. And in the event that, that Henry leaves Tennessee, then I think the door is wide open for him. So he's a guy that I, I like a lot. At least I like the landing spot for him a lot. I liked his skill set, too, before the draft. So, um, you know, some things have to happen. But I think fewer things have to happen for him to be viable than for some of these other guys I think that we've talked about so far today. Um, some other day three guys, uh, there's a trio of guys that I think all sort of fall in similar categories. Rashawn Johnson goes to Chicago. Israel Abanaconda, who I like, and I believe was it, uh, I think Lance Zerline uh, yeah. told us about him uh, as well. He goes to the Jets. Deuce Vaughn goes to the Cowboys, and that was a cool story where his dad gets to call him and says, hey, yeah. we're going to go to work tomorrow. That was That was amazing. Uh, any of these guys, who do you like the most, I should say, out of that trio? I like Deuce Vaughn the most just because outside of Tony Pollard, I he could be their number two running back. there, And I, I could see it potentially where he kind of plays not what Tony Pollard was last year. But remember like a couple years ago when like 
Tony Pollard wasn't getting a whole lot of touches, but when he was, he was like looking super explosive. I could see Deuce Vaughn having that kind of impact. Roshan Johnson is a better back than I think he gets credit for. Uh, he could play on special teams too, but that Chicago backfield is suddenly so crowded with a bunch of options that I don't think really separate each other and Herbert, Foreman, Johnson, and, and Homer. Mm. And, and I like Israel as well. Uh, I would have butchered his last name, I think. But um, <laughs> you talk about a loaded backfield. In yeah, New York. there's just so many options there so that I don't guys. think he could be fantasy relevant. I just don't think he is. I mean, he's got Brees Hall, Bam Knight, Michael Carter. Uh, they did sign Travis Dye, fight on, as a uh, a free agent after the draft. I mean, Dye actually suffered a pretty serious injury right near the end of the season. So I think his his rookie season is pretty much going to be a wash. But there's so many guys there that I don't I don't think Abanaconda is going to get much much work. You talk about Rashawn Johnson though, and the reason I don't think he got more love in this draft is because he played behind a dude named B. John Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so that made it hard for him to really get a whole lot of opportunity. But maybe. I know the Bears have really hyped him up. I mean, everything coming out of Chicago is how much they love him uh, right now. And so it is. How can he get or can he compete with Khalil Herbert, I think, is going to be the big question there. You know, I think you've got Foreman as the frontline guy. Can Johnson take opportunities away from Khalil Herbert? And that will determine how much he gets on the field in his rookie year. But at least for now, everything coming out of Chicago is about how much they love this guy. And so we'll see if, if that makes a difference. Uh, some other running backs that were drafted. Evan Hull goes to the Colts. Zach Evans comes to Los Angeles to play for the Rams. Dwayne McBride to the Vikings. Uh, anything that, that you want to say about any of these guys here? Like like Hall and Evans compete to be the backups there, I think. Uh, McBride, it all determines what happens with Dalvin Cook. I, I think these are more like in a rookie draft, like la late round dart throws that you yeah. hope hit. These, these are kind of end of draft guys that maybe you take a shot on. Um, I know a lot of people felt like Cam Akers sort of dodged some bullets in the uh, in the draft because the Rams I, didn't add anything there. I tweeted that he was a winner and people were like, but they added Zach Evans. I'm like, okay, they added a depth piece. Like, <laughs> they're going to do that. They didn't use a premium pick on a running back. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think uh, I think if you're, if you're Cam Akers, you should be feeling quite all right. I mean, they spent a sixth-round pick on a running back. Not a lot of draft capital uh, right there. Uh, take a quick break. Come back. There's a slew of wide receivers and a handful of tight ends to talk about. We will dive into those next on the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Looking at some of the wide receivers who came off the board in day two and day three of the draft. Jalen Hyatt goes to the New York Football Giants. They just they just have so many wide receivers, and like most of them are slot guys. Uh, Hyatt, maybe one of the big knocks on him is that he didn't necessarily line up on the ball a whole lot. The Tennessee did a lot to kind of give him space, give him the ability to get off the line. So we, we need to see, can he line up and play outside? Can he win one-on-one? -on -one? Can he win in press coverage? What are you doing about Giants wide receivers? Because they all seem kind of similar right now. Yeah, I'm drafting uh, Darren Waller as my <laughs> tight end where I can because he still goes outside the top five tight ends in a lot of places, it seems. 
after for the actual receivers, the ones that I have interest in are Wandell Robinson as like a late round pick, just because I think uh he can operate as their lead slot receiver. And I would take a dart throw on Jalen Hyatt because especially in best ball. But I think that he might not start week one. We know coaches like to make rookies earn it and stuff as the season goes on, but I could see him quickly uh, stealing one of those outside jobs being a, cause the giants lack perimeter speed, uh, explosiveness. They had by far the fewest attempts, completions and yards uh, on passes of 20 plus air yards last year. Maybe that's a Daniel Jones thing. I think it's more that they didn't have a receiver who could get open 20 yards downfield in time for Daniel Jones to get the ball out of his hand. Jalen Hyatt brings everything that they need. I, I thought of the day two receivers. He wasn't my favorite of the receivers, but this was my favorite fit for fantasy purposes. I, I would have loved to see Hyatt go to like the Chargers or something like that. That would have been fun. But I, you know, my concern is you got a team last that last year, the Giants, they were sort of bottom portion of the league when it came to passing play percentage, right? They didn't throw the ball a ton. They were a lot more run heavy than a lot of other offenses. And now you look at this depth chart. And, you know, they've got Hyatt. They brought back Sterling Shepard. You mentioned Wandale Robinson. Darius Slayton's going to get time. Isaiah Hodgins uh, flashed at times last year. They go out and they add Paris Campbell as well. You know, aside from Darren Waller, you're looking at a handful of guys that could get anywhere from, you know, 10 to 15% of the targets in an offense that doesn't throw the ball a whole lot. It just makes it hard. And, you know, Hyatt, I think, is a – I always hate this. I know it sounds like a cop-out. He's a good best ball guy. I mean, I feel like that's his opportunity. If he can play outside, if he can use that speed to get downfield and, and hit the occasional big play, I think that's sort of where his success is going to lie. But, man, just, I don't know. I, maybe the Giants move on from a couple of these guys before the season starts. Otherwise, I, I, don't, I don't really know what's happening here. <laughs> that's my like that's why i like hyatt the most because i'm like if i'm gonna take a gamble on one of these receivers why not go with the guy who has the most uh, at least in my opinion i think he has the most upside no i think that's fair i mean especially because we've seen you know look, we've seen sterling shepherd at this point we've seen slayton uh we've seen paris campbell we sort of know what these guys are so why not take the shot on the guy who you know offers us a fresh opportunity somewhere? But it really sounds like Darren Waller or bust. It's pretty much Darren Waller, <laughs> or bust, right? I mean, you're drafting Saquon, you're drafting Darren Waller. After that, good luck. <laughs> sort of how it is. Uh, Jonathan Mingo goes to the Carolina Panthers, and I know Mingo was a guy that was sort of polarizing. I think you know some scouts and some analysts really liked him, some really didn't. But he goes to a team that. Is there a true number one in Carolina? Nope. I, I don't <laughs> think so. Like, I, I think on paper you would say Adam Thielen, but uh, I have not been a big Adam Thielen guy for a few years now. I, I think his best days are behind him. My only concern is because I think Jonathan Mingo, I, I know he played a little bit out wide and in the slot in college. I think he's at his best as a big slot guy. Uh, I actually comped him to Juju when I was watching him. Mm. Not Early career Juju, though, like current, like current Juju. Juju, like, yeah, not going to be burning you downfield or anything like that, but could be a good hands receiver win after the catch because I think he's best in the slot. That's also where Adam Thielen is. So it wouldn't surprise me if like early in the year, Mingo is is struggling a little bit to get consistent snaps and targets. And then he kind of breaks out as the year goes on. I, I would if I'm the Panthers, I would love to be like, hey, develop with our our franchise quarterback here and just you two are the future. But uh, I think it could be a situation where it's a slow start 
and then he heats up as we go on. I, I do think a lot of these rookies are going to be drafted and then dropped, and then someone else will pick them up and get the best results out of them. That, that, that seems kind of fair. I mean, I think when you look at the wide receivers especially, and we talked about this after night one, that it seemed like a lot of them landed in spots where they have a lot of competition in terms of getting targets. Mingo, I don't think, really has quite as much competition. I mean, when you talk about DJ Chark and Adam Thielen, uh, Terrace Marshall, I mean, I think Mingo can compete with all those guys. Uh, <laughs> talking with Dwayne McFarland uh, just the other day, and he was pointing out that you know, Mingo's a guy that I think immediately you sort of look at the Panthers and you're like, eh, you know, he doesn't immediately excite you. But then you start looking at a lot of the other receivers that were drafted, you know, around where he was or after where he was. And just based on sort of landing spot, he looks a little bit more attractive when it comes to, to rookie dynasty drafts. Um, you know, immediately there's nothing about him that that says that screams like you got to have him. But compared to some of the options, you're like, oh. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll go with Jonathan I, Mingo. I have seen a lot of, uh, and I don't, I'm not gonna put anyone on blast here, but I've seen a lot of people being like, Jonathan Mingo fell to a great spot. He's the rookie receiver you want to draft, and I'm like, these are people who haven't watched Jonathan Mingo. Like, <laughs> I got excited for him. I like Jonathan Mingo. I think he fell to a good spot, but he's not suddenly gonna be like a league winner. And, and rookies tend to get overhyped this time of year, but he's certainly one getting a lot of hype right well, now. Well. I think some of it is, and I'm sure you saw the tweets, right? Of Ole Miss receivers that got drafted oh, in the yeah. second round, right? I mean, it was, it was, you know, DK Metcalf. It was AJ Brown. It was Elijah Moore. It's Jonathan Mingo. But yeah, no, I think when you look at those other guys, when you look at Metcalf and Brown, I mean, they, those two guys played together, first of all, and still both put up big time production. Elijah Moore was a big time producer. Mingo never had production on that same level as those other guys. So, yes, they were all drafted in the second round. I don't think that that necessarily means they're all going to produce at the same level uh, in the NFL. Jaden Reed goes to the Green Bay Packers. And, uh, hey, look, Aaron Rodgers had wanted the Packers to draft wide receivers for a long time. So the Packers went out in the last <laughs> couple of years they've drafted wide receivers. Too bad Aaron Rodgers isn't there anymore. Um so now they've got Jaden Reed to go along with Christian Watson, who was outstanding last year. Romeo Dobbs, who started hot and sort of faded. Uh, rank those three guys for me. Uh, Reed, Watson, and Dobbs. I'm going to go Watson, Reed, Dobbs. But I will say I'm very exciting for, excited for the pairing of Watson and Reed. Because Reed, to me, is a really strong route runner. He can get open on the short to intermediate part of the, of the field. Struggles a little bit the further from the line of scrimmage he gets. Watson is the exact opposite of that. Watson takes the top off the defense. Uh, so I think they're a really good young pairing. You pair them with Jordan Love. Uh, the, the Packers got a good young core on offense, I think. Um, but for fantasy purposes... I'm going to take the super explosive option, Christian Watson. I like Watson a little bit more than Reed. I think Dobbs is number three for me. But I have seen some chatter that people think Reed could be better than friend Watson. Friend of the show. I don't know if you friend saw. Of the, Matt, Matt Harmon yep. was big. Uh, friend of the show, Matt Harmon, and uh, his his running partner over at Yahoo, Andy Barons, both saying that they think Jaden Reed could be better than Christian Watson. Uh, you know, I wish I wish Harmon had, had tweeted that out before. Uh, I saw him over the weekend because then I could have asked him <laughs> about it after a couple of beers. But, uh, yeah, I do think here's the thing. I think both Reed and Watson can certainly be viable in fantasy, even in redraft leagues this year. We know Watson can be. I think Reed can be as well. The Packers don't need, or at least we don't need from fantasy. We don't need Jordan Love to be great. We just need him to not be awful. 
Yeah. Right. We just need him to not be, you know, Zach Wilson level. He, as long as he's competent, then both Reed and Watson can be, I think, productive in this Green Bay offense for fantasy. Um, Michael Wilson goes to the Arizona Cardinals. I know you like Michael Wilson as a sleeper this year. There are a lot of guys there in that offense still, right? As of the moment, DeAndre Hopkins is still there. Marquise Brown is still there. Rondale Moore is still there. Zach Ertz. Uh, at some point, it's going to get healthy and be back there again. So there's a lot of places to go with the football. Who ends up being sort of the odd man out if Wilson's going to get an opportunity? And does it even matter if it's not Kyler Murray throwing the ball? It it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Colt McCoy and the cast that they had at quarterback last year tanked the value of D-Hop and Marquise Brown. And as much as I like Wilson as a sleeper, he's not on there. And he's the odd man out if DeAndre Hopkins comes back. I think where Michael Wilson becomes a sleeper is if they do move on from DeAndre Hopkins, which I thought was a lock before the draft. And I'm very much so uh, worried that he's going to end up getting another year wasted of his career right now with the Cardinals. But Michael Wilson is, is a receiver that has size, could play as an X, which was rare in this class, could play in the slot. He just couldn't stay healthy at college. Played 14 games in his final three seasons. So he's a receiver that I, I keep saying, like, if he stayed healthy, I think we would be talking about him a whole lot more. But it's just a matter of, like, how much can this guy give us at the next level? But, yeah, if it's no Kyler Murray and it's D-Hop and Marquise Brown are there, he's not even viable in, in redraft. That's, I think, sort of the thing right now is that I, I in redraft, I'm staying away just because, you know, we aren't going to see Murray for much of the year. I mean, there's a chance we don't see him at all this year if the Cardinals end up being bad, potentially, in the, the quarterbacks behind him. Colt McCoy, as you mentioned, Jeff Driscoll, David Blau, and they spent the fifth round pick on Clayton Toon. If, so, I, if I told you that was like an XFL quarterback room, you'd probably believe me. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, you know. Uh, so that's potentially who's throwing the football in Arizona. And like I mentioned, Nuke's still there. Uh, it's going to be an uphill climb for Michael Wilson, at least in his rookie year. Now we'll see what happens, you know, if the, the Cardinals make some moves. But uh, it's going to be tough for him in 2023. Rasheed, Weiss, Rasheed Rice goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. We always get excited about receivers that go to a Patrick Mahomes offense. Uh, I mentioned, was it last week, two weeks ago on this show, that uh, the track record of the Chiefs drafting wide receivers, not great. Uh, they hit on Tyreek Hill, and nobody expected Tyreek Hill to be the guy that he has become. He was, what, a fifth-round pick who's turned into one of the top receivers in the league. Nobody predicted that. Beyond that, they have struggled when it comes to the position. But they also have, and I, I looked at this yesterday, Currently, 12 guys listed at wide receiver on their <laughs> roster, right? I mean, you got your guy, Kadarius Toney. Uh, they've got Justin Ross. They have John Ross, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> they have a type. They, they do, right? They've got, uh, they've got all these guys. I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, so many guys. Sky Moore, last Sky year's rookie. Moore. Can Rice stand out enough to actually make an impact in this offense, knowing that, you know, Travis Kelsey's going to hoover up about 30 to 40% of the targets? I don't think so, but I'm not going to stop people from hyping him up because he, the Chiefs traded up to get him on day two, and ever since then, I've seen people saying good things about Rasheed Rice, and I, I do think he fits this modern-day Chiefs offense because he's a good after-the-catch receiver. He, he's very physical, but I think he's extremely raw. Like His route running needs work. His hands needs work. His downfield play needs work. 
Sounds a lot like other receivers the Chiefs have drafted. They 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 draft athletes at this position. They don't draft, you know, technicians. So and they hope to teach them that. And I think Rasheed Rice fits that mold, but Chiefs receivers this year, it's going to be a fun game of like choose your fighter because <laughs> they don't have a clear cut wide receiver one, but they have a bunch of guys that I think are going to get fantasy hype. Like obviously Kadarius Tony is going to get some hype. Sky Moore has like a whole hive of people on Twitter who hype him up. Justin uh, Watson has, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Justin Ross has uh, some hype on Twitter. And then Rasheed Rice is going to, I'm team Kadarius Tony all the way. I think he'll be their one as long as he's healthy. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a fun experiment watching these Chiefs ADP all summer long. Yeah, I, I mean, Rice at the right spot. I know in some best ball drafts, he's going like around somewhere either 15 to or 14 to 16, somewhere in that range. So you're not really risking a lot if you're drafting him. And I think at that point, it's fine. If the hype exceeds that, uh, I might be out on him even in Kansas City. By the way, what, what has happened to the Miko Hardman hive now that he's no longer in Kansas City? Is it still a thing? I mean, he's going to be competing for time with the ghost of Randall Cobb this year. <laughs> Man, I mean, Rodgers is just, I mean, it's like, you know, in elementary school kickball where you're like, I only come to your team if you take my friend. Like, that's pretty much Aaron Rodgers. He goes he's, to the Jets. He brings Randall the, Cobb. Alan the Lazard. USC version of DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So for people who don't know this, I've talked about this just privately uh, around here. Um USC, USC basketball, you know, they got DeMar DeRozan for the one year that he came before he went to the, the NBA. And the reason that they were able to get DeMar DeRozan <laughs> is because they had to recruit Lil Romeo. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Romeo Miller, a.k.a. Percy Miller's kid. Uh, they were friends in high school and SC wanted DeMar DeRozan. They thought he was a top recruit, which he was. He said, I will come to your school if you hire, if you uh, recruit, not hire, if you recruit my friend. Uh, Lil Romeo and bring him and pretty much after DeMar got drafted and left USC uh, Miller said like I'm out too Romeo's like I'm done I just pulled up his college stats he attempted four field goals that's more than I would have I would have guessed <laughs> uh, he pretty much only played when the game was a blowout one way or another that was kind of the only time he actually got on the he floor. had 19 in it says two seasons 19 minutes five points scored wow he actually played two seasons that is amazing to me. <laughs> i thought I'm it was one this whole time i am i really thought it was one this whole time i am learning so much more about uh little romeo's <laughs> college basketball career uh than it's I one of my thought. favorite fun facts like <laughs> it's know? just so hilarious yeah, i'll come to usc if you uh if you guys decide to bring in little romeo uh, i do remember <laughs> i think it was at poly pavilion is it poly pavilion or at stanford where somebody held up a sign that said little bow wow is better <laughs> that was it uh all right back, back to what we're doing here uh marvin mims goes to the denver broncos Broncos right now saying they have no plans to move on from Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. There was you know, a lot of chatter that one of those guys at least could be moved, but it appears that they're both going to stay there. Uh, KJ Hamler just had surgery. He's expected to be out for the next four to six months, but Tim Patrick is also returning. Are there enough quality targets? And I, I emphasize quality just because last year, Russ struggled, at least under Nathaniel Hackett. It got better once Hackett was fired, but we still have questions. Is Russ cooked? Are there enough quality targets for Marvin Mims to be viable this year? I don't think so. Not year one, at least. I, I like Marvin Mims a lot. Great field stretcher, play outside in the slot a little bit. He's best used as a field stretcher. My thinking year one 
is that they drafted their new KJ Hamler. Uh, Hamler was always their wide receiver four who would get mixed in at times. They would use him whenever they wanted to take a deep shot like he was out there. I could see Marvin Mims playing that role, but obviously Judy and Sutton are ahead of him and they're going to be in all two wide receiver sets. Tim Patrick coming off of an injury, yes, but he was very good before he got hurt and he's a coach's favorite. So I expect him to be out there on most three wide receiver sets. Mims, someone that I think year one will just be a better real life piece for the Broncos. But year two, depending what this wide receiver room looks like, there there definitely is opportunity there. I think what works for Marvin Mims is being the guy for this regime. Um, neither Sutton nor Judy, you know, they were neither one were drafted by Sean Payton and, and this front office. Marvin Mims is one of their guys. And so I think that means they give him some opportunities to go out there and make plays. I've I like Cortland Sutton, but you know, at this point, I don't think the big breakout is coming now. I just, I'm not sure it's going to happen. I think there's still a chance for it to happen for Judy, but you know, Sutton's a nice player. He's, he's had one 1000 yard season. He's he's only had one season with uh, more than four touchdowns. I just don't know that it's really going to happen for him in a big way. If they want to spread the field a little bit more, if they want to throw the ball a little bit more, which is certainly possible under Sean Payton, I think you know, I think you could see Mims get on the field in some three wide receiver sets, um, get some opportunities there. But again, all of this really sort of hinges on Russell Wilson not being washed. Yeah. If, if he's washed, then I think we throw this all out the window. Nothing matters. <laughs> it just really doesn't matter anymore. Uh, Tank Dell goes to Houston. Now, I was going to ask a question about opportunity versus talent, but I, I think there's a, a case where it's it's both here, right? I mean, Dell, a second-round pick, a guy with explosive speed. I know people are worried sort of about his his frame, his size, but in terms of talent, it seems to be there. And we talked before, aside from Nico Collins, there's really nothing in his way. I know right now he's sort of listed as number two on the depth chart behind Robert Woods. Uh I could see that sort of changing. So you got Nico Collins, you got John Mechie back after uh, battling leukemia for a year. Tank Dell really could get a chance to make an impact on a team that that needs playmakers right now. Yeah, I I certainly think so, especially when you hear that it was CJ Stroud who was asking them to get Tank Dell and bring him in. And another cool draft story, like Tank Dell, who played at the University of Houston, sent the Texans a message back in December and said, don't let me leave the city. And then they ended up <laughs> drafting him. I, I thought that was a really cool story. My only concern, one, is that the Texans are going to be super hard to figure out, at least early on, I think. Because, like you said, there's no clear cut receiver that stands out. It's also new play, new coaches and stuff. So my thinking is it wouldn't surprise me if, like, the first couple of weeks, if Robert Woods plays over Tank Dell just because he's the veteran and, and all of that. But I expect Tank Dell, at this point of their careers, to kind of win out. Um, but yeah, that's my only concern with him really is if Robert Woods is going to get the first crack just because he's Robert Woods and the veteran and all that. I mean, I, th- I think he does. I think he's, he's going to be the starter at the beginning of the year, but I do think Dell's going to get plenty of opportunity before the season plays out. I mean, look, you're the Texans and you made some moves. You've done a lot, but you're still not a real contender. So why not at some point start working your young guys in and seeing what, can happen, you know. I mean, I know D'Amico Ryan's wants to come in and change the culture and win right away. Uh, I think some of that means getting your young guys out there and, and giving them a shot. Uh, Cedric Tillman to the Browns. This is one that I really liked because you've got 
you've got Amari Cooper there, and you know that he's going to get his targets. Uh, but they bring in Elijah Moore uh, in a trade. But there's a chance, I think, for Cedric Tillman to get on the field. I think the Browns are going to throw the football a whole lot more this year. I, I, I think he has some sneaky kind of late-round value as long as Deshaun Watson can sort of regain his on-field form this year. I completely agree. And, and my thinking with this one was he's the opposite of, uh, of Amari Cooper now. Like, you have Elijah Moore in the slot. You have David Njoku as your tight end. You have Amari Cooper as your one. And now Tillman on the opposite side. My only concern is because Tillman is at his best uh, at, at, like, comeback routes and short to intermediate game. He can win downfield, but it's not his strength. Whereas Donovan Peoples-Jones is kind of the opposite. Like, he is the field stretcher who struggles in the other area of the game. So I wonder if, at least early on, if we see, like, a rotation between Tillman and DPJ. But I think Tillman is the better player of the two. And if Amari Cooper, let's say, was to miss time, I, I, Tillman, I think, would is the best candidate to be their new top receiver and lead target getter. I think so. I think, I mean, I think, I just think there's such a, an opportunity here and everything the Browns have done suggests that they want to be more pass heavy this year, right? I mean, they've gone all in obviously on Deshaun Watson in terms of the contract. Uh, you know, they go get Elijah Moore, they draft Tillman. Um, I think you're going to see this team just try to air it out a whole lot more. So that means that there will be targets to be had. And I think Tillman, uh, really does have some opportunity. And again, I mean, like a lot of these guys, when you're talking best ball drafts right now, you're not spending a lot of draft capital for no. any of these guys. You're looking late double digits uh, for some of these guys at this point. Josh Downs goes to the Colts. And this is a guy who slipped on a lot of NFL draft boards, uh, fell down quite a bit into the third round. I, th I don't think anybody anticipated that happening. He goes to Indianapolis. For as much as we're excited about Anthony Richardson, it's not necessarily because of his ability as a passer. So you've got a team with Richardson and Jonathan Taylor where they're going to run the ball a lot. You've got an established wide receiver one in Michael Pittman. I don't see a ton of upside in redraft for Josh Downs right now. Sadly, I'm with you. Uh, I, I don't think the Colts are going to throw the ball a whole lot. And when they do, Michael Pittman Jr. is obviously the top target. Alec Pierce uh, can show a lot. And then they brought in Isaiah McKenzie, who I think was exposed last year as a full-time slot player, but is a really good, uh, like situational weapon. Like he, I, I don't think he could be a full every snap type of receiver, but I don't think he's just fully going to go away either. So my thinking was like, we probably see a McKenzie and downs rotation, at least early on. Downs is more someone I could see maybe popping off the waiver wire uh, later in the season. Uh, if someone gets hurt or something like that. But to start, I, I think there's just other pieces that, like, I, I like Josh Down a lot compared coming into the NFL draft, but knowing their landing spot, I'd probably take all of the receivers, maybe not Marvin Mims, but besides that, everyone else over him. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think, I think Down's just, I don't know, it's a bad situation for him fantasy-wise going to Indianapolis uh, until we figure out more of what Anthony Richardson is as a passer. If he develops and looks like he can support multiple pass catchers, then great. But as of now, what we know about him, I, I don't know that I want any part of, of Josh Downs in fantasy. Uh, some of the other guys who were drafted, Puka Nakua comes to the Rams, Xavier Hutchinson to the Texans, A.T. Perry to the Saints. Uh, anybody that, that jumps out at you here? I think they're all depth pieces, but Puka Nakua is getting some hype as like a after the catch kind of guy with the Rams. So 
just I, I think he's the most interesting purely because of how much uh, open opportunity there are with the Rams right now. I mean, it's, it's Cooper Cup and <laughs> kind of everybody else. So so maybe, maybe there's an opportunity there. Uh, finally, we got the tie uh, the tight ends. Uh, not a draft pick specifically, but Adam Troutman gets traded to the Denver Broncos. So Juwan Johnson to the moon or maybe the upper atmosphere at least? I, I think so. And I, I did a draft the other day a post nfl draft draft and he was the eighth tight end it was uh obviously you know there's there's kelsey hawkinson andrews goddard kittle kittle waller and uh and there was one other one i'm forgetting and then it was him like it, wow. like, i i to me i look at the tight end position and i think there's a clear cut seven even though i'm forgetting one of the seven right now but he went right after that and i don't really see any reason to get upset about it like Last year, there was a stretch where he was kind of touchdown or bust, but the final, like, six weeks of the season, he was a big, big part of their passing game there, and clearly, they feel confident in him because every website or anything had tight end as a need for the Saints. Not only did they not draft a tight end, they traded their other tight end, so I, I think, to me, that shows how much confidence they have in Johnson. And, I mean, throw in the fact that, yes, Darren Waller's, you know, kind of a high-level tight end, but Derek Carr obviously has no problem involving the tight end in the passing game. So he's got a uh, he's got a quarterback that likely will feed him the football. Um, any chance for Troutman, any, any interest in him now that he's in Denver there? No, but he is reuniting with, with uh, Sean Payton, That's which true. worries me a little. It it doesn't, to me, I think this is one of those situations where it doesn't help Troutman, but it hurts Greg Dolchik. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the, the best thing to think about it. Because um, Dolchik was really good last year, and now you're bringing in a guy that is familiar with the offense. You wonder how much he gets on the field, maybe to kind of take away from some of those opportunities. Uh, on to the guys that were drafted, though. Michael Mayer goes to the Raiders. I, the Raiders had a weird tight end offseason because they trade Darren Waller away. They go out, they add O.J. Howard, who admittedly has had his injury issues that can't stay on the field. They go get Austin Hooper, who you know, is probably on the, the downhill side of his career at this point. And then they draft Michael Mayer. But they've got three guys in theory that can get on the field right now and catch the football. Who is the Raiders tight end to draft? I would take a shot on Mayer, just upside. Like, Hooper is at the the twilight days of his NFL career. O.J. Howard, every team just brings him into block nowadays. So, <laughs> I think Mayer it was drafted to be the, uh, the Waller replacement, the pass-catching tight end there. But, as always with rookie, like, there's a lot of reasons to get excited for tight end in the long term. Like, it finally got the shot in the arm that it's needed for years. Mm -hmm. But... Outside of Kyle Pitts, even the useful rookie tight ends like Pat Fryer moved a couple years ago, they don't hit usually until the second half of the season. So these rookie tight ends are nothing more, in my opinion, than tight end twos for fantasy purposes. Yeah. By the way, you talk about like tight ends coming in. Darnell Washington maybe took the biggest hit of, of everybody. Oh. I mean, he falls deep in the draft and he goes to Pittsburgh where he's going to be stuck behind Pat Fryer Muth. I mean, this is a guy that we talked about could have sleeper potential to... Yeah, now he's off the board. He's he's just off the board, <laughs> I think, in Pittsburgh there. Um, Sam Laporta goes to the Detroit Lions. And I had heard some chatter. You may have heard this, too, before the draft, that he could potentially be the first guy drafted. Obviously, that ended up being Dalton Kincaid going to the Buffalo Bills. But Laporta's in a situation where we like the offense. Uh, he's a talented player 
who did a lot of good things offensively, even at Iowa, which is a, an offensively challenged program right now. Uh, could he be the top fantasy rookie tight end this year? I think pretty easily. Like, to me, it's between him and Kincaid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially, he. I know I just said you have to be patient with these rookie tight ends. If any of them hit early on, I feel confident, well, it'll be one of those two. But Laporta is in a really good spot because... No Jamison Williams now for six weeks. So outside of Amon Ross St. Brown, it's kind of thin there. There's Josh Reynolds, Marvin uh, Marvin Jones Jr. who's getting up there in age, Khalif Raymond. Like, I, Laporta could easily get a lot of targets, especially when you look at the tight ends behind him. Mm-hmm. Like, remember the Lions tight ends after they traded Hawkinson? It's the same group of guys yep. and Laporta now. Yeah, the, the tight end depth chart in Detroit isn't really all that exciting. So that, I think, helps Laporta get on the field. Uh, in fact, I'm seeing some places where they've got Laporta already listed as the tight end one. I mean, you're looking at Brock Wright, Shane Zilstra, Derek Deese Jr. I mean, th- these aren't... That helped no one all-stars. That's pretty like... <laughs> much is kind of what that is. So there's a chance Laporta could get on the field right away. I... I still would sort of lean toward Kincaid end up as the top rookie just because he has Josh Allen. But I think Laporte is in the conversation. I think he's going to get chances to, to catch the football. As you mentioned, no Jamison Williams for the first six weeks of the season. So it's, it's going to be St. Brown. I guess Marvin Jones is going to get some of these opportunities as well. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, I guess take it with a grain of salt because even for these talented rookies, rookie tight ends always still take a little bit longer to sort yeah. of progress. But I think Laporta is going to get a lot of targets, relatively speaking, uh, early on. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker goes to the Dallas Cowboys. They have a lot of pass catchers there. You know, they've got they just picked up the option on CD Lamb. No surprise. They go get Brandon Cooks. Uh, we know Tony Pollard is going to get his opportunities. Uh, but Michael Gallup, I guess, is still there. Um, are there enough targets available for Shoemaker to be viable this year? I'm not sure. I, I do think he could be their best tight end. Like, it's between him and Jake Ferguson. I, I could see Shoemaker winning out. And I, I tweeted that on draft night. Like, I'm excited for the landing spot from a tight end point of view. Uh, but, yeah. There's a lot of pass catchers here. I, I would anticipate that he's one of those tight ends that early on doesn't see a whole lot of volume. Maybe could uh, hit as the season goes on. It's just, with all of these rookie tight ends, I think you want them as tight end twos. And even if you draft them, you're going to have to be patient. A lot like what I said with the receivers, I would think a lot of these rookie tight ends end up being good on the team that didn't draft them. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're looking at, at Shoemaker... It, I think he's a waiver wire potential guy, depending on on how the, the things shake out. I don't know that I'm spending any picks on him in a redraft, certainly. Uh, again, maybe you're talking end of draft, and if you're talking about best ball sort of situations there, uh, you know, he could be one of those guys because of the offense, because the Cowboys score, uh, that he could get some opportunities. But I don't know that week to week uh, you're going to feel any real level of confidence about having Shoemaker in your, in your lineup there. Uh, last one here, Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, both going to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I think Musgrave maybe has more of an opportunity as a pass catcher than than Craft does, but any real interest in either one of these guys this year? Right now, no. And, and I was excited when they took Luke Musgrave, not for like redraft purposes right away, but just for dynasty. But then they drafted a tight end, another tight end, a round later, and 
we've seen teams do this and I know that the logic is, well, they took Musgrave first. He's the guy. Let's go back a few years ago to the Packers draft where they drafted Jamal Williams ahead of Aaron Jones. <laughs> Aaron Jones won out and was the guy. So I, I think this is a, a, going to be a legit camp battle. Um, and because you have two rookie tight ends battling it out, they could cannibalize each other. Uh, I'm, with a team that has solid receivers and an unproven quarterback, yeah, I'm going to pass on the situation. Yeah, and I just, I just don't know that there's enough right now uh, to sustain either one of these guys. I mean, we just talked about the three receivers between uh, Jaden Reed, Christian Watson, um, and Romeo Dobbs. I, you know, it, it's going to be hard enough, I think, for Jordan Love to sustain two of these guys. Uh, you know, forget adding a third wide receiver and potentially a tight end. I just don't think there's going to be the opportunity there for that to happen. So uh, I am sort of staying away from any of the Packers tight ends. We'll see how they develop, but right now, uh, I don't know that I have much interest in them uh, at all. So there you go. That is uh, a bulk of what happened day two and three. I know there were some other guys out there that we didn't quite get to, but I feel like we we covered the majority of it, right? I, I feel yeah. good about this. Yeah, and I mean, the end of day three is, it's always fun, but it is a long day of it's drafting. Long. Day three is, um, kudos to you if you sat and you watched every <laughs> single pick on day three. You are absolutely a trooper and uh, you deserve a lollipop or something like that. Uh, next week, we'll come back and we will talk about some of the veteran winners and losers uh, from the draft. And we can get back to Florio's Film Festival. Uh, we had Desperado on tap, so maybe we'll get back to that one next week. I will say, and I think I talked to you about this, um, because with, with Fast X coming out in a couple of weeks, uh, I feel like you have to watch Pulp, not Pulp Fiction, we've watched that already, uh, Point Break. Do you want to make that next week? Some no, we'll, we'll do Desperado for this week, and then we'll do, we'll do Point Break uh, for the week after, because that'll lead us right up into Fast X. The reason I'm doing this is because I think I told you, if you like the original Fast and Furious movie, you will like Point Break. Because it is the same movie, you just replace cars with surfing, and it's the same film. I know we're, we're not talking about films too much right now, but have you finished your fast binge? I have gone through eight of the nine. I have to watch, <laughs> I have to watch F9, uh, and then I will be completely you, caught up. Do you start like revving your engine right now? It's like, weird, because now every time like somebody zooms past me, I do kind of look, and I'm like, what, <laughs> what, would, what would Dom Toretto do in this situation? Um, and it probably would be like to drive his car at ridiculous speeds and do some kind of ridiculous stunt. And uh, yeah, that whole thing. As ridiculous as I know the movie's gonna be, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Like I, I mean, am. They are. They have gotten. They've gotten increasingly more ridiculous. And like eight was way over the top. I can't wait till you watch nine because nine was actually the first one that I watched, and I was like, I've watched eight of these, and I I say they're entertaining. This one is even too over the top for me. Okay, because eight was like way over the top, and I to the point I'm just like giggling. I'm like, this is stupid, but I can't turn this off because I really am entertained. And so, yeah. if you really want to take it to the next level, watch the spinoff with the uh, the oh, Rock Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah, I'm gonna watch that. One. That is a superhero movie. That seems like it would be because they sort of made they've made Hobbs into kind of a superhero anyway. So he, I can I he can gets a that. suit that like is impenetrable and gives him like. Like, it's a superhero movie. I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it's it's basically a superhero movie. So, yeah, so we will, uh, <laughs> in honor of that, we will do Point Break in a couple of weeks. But next week, Desperado, also because I want to break up our run of L.A.-based movies, and Desperado is not based in oh, Los Point Angeles. Oh, Point Break is L.A.? Point Break is another Los Angeles movie, so I want to at least <laughs> break up that run uh, before we get back into L.A.-themed movies. So uh, look forward to that next week. Should be a whole lot of fun as we get back 
to the film festival. But that'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. It was a beefy one. Stay happy, safe, and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy the week, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.